0: Section three of Mimic Life by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Stella, chapter three. Mr. Belton was not a manager of the ordinary stamp. The mania of speculation with which the larger numbers of his confrères were afflicted, had not lured him into becoming the autocrat of the theatre. A genuine passion for the profession, a desire to promote its interest, combined, perhaps, with a natural love of rule, rendered him a theatrical lycée. He looked upon the members of his company as an incongruous family circle, of which he was the all-potent head he regarded his audience as a bevy of captious friends whom he condescended to amuse and instruct he took pleasure in noticing the same well-known faces nightly scattered through his boxes one cluster of veritable habitues who congregated in the stage-box he invariably watched through their approval or dissent to a performance his judgments were silently swayed he comprehended and revered the social influence of the drama he was conscientious and never intentionally ministered to a matriculous or viviated taste in his disbursements mr belton was strictly economical but rigidly just the salaries he allowed were not large but they were always certain his company was perhaps too limited but its members labored amicably and indefatigably some of the subordinates rejoiced in two sets of cognomens on the bills and were adepts in doubling characters but it was the unanimous opinion that double duty under mr belton's management was lighter than single duty in more pretentious establishments where less system and justice reigned it was almost a misfortune for mr belton that he was endowed with histrionic talent. In common with the generality of actors, he mistook his own forte. As a comedian, he would have shown pre-eminent. His rotund figure, jolly face, the merry twinkle of his eye, the bonhomie of his whole manner, particularly fitted him for humorous personations. But Mr. Belton detested comedy." high tragedy was his aspiration he would have rather been hissed as lear than applauded as dogberry as he was the sole arbiter in his theatre no one could remonstrate against his assumption of the tragic heroes that is to say no one but the audience and they now and then availed themselves of the privilege when the sound of merriment greeted his ears instead of the expected burst of applause mr belton gravely asked what the people could be laughing at ah well he would console himself by saying we must educate our audience until they comprehend us nothing like elevating an audience to one's own standard besides they have been so much accustomed to laugh when i intended to be funny that they never understand me when i show them how high tragedy ought to be acted the decease of miss talbot had left the theatre a vacancy difficult to be filled mr belton was sitting in his office searching the morning papers for favourable notices when he was informed that several ladies had called in answer to his advertisement show them up one at a time first come first served remember a fair chance for all then as the messenger left the room he added there'll be no contenting the public no matter whom i engage they'll sure to be say she can't step into the shoes of poor lydia three young dramatic aspirants in turn obtained an interview all three passed out of the theatre with downcast countenances stella accompanied by her usual attendant was now ushered into the presence of mr belton she was prepared to encounter a second edition of mr grimshaw mr belton's courteous reception and gentlemanlike bearing quickly placed her at ease she briefly made known her wishes mr belton listened with an air of interest he requested her to read with prompt self-possession she delivered the animated dialogue which takes place from juliet's moonlighted balcony between the lovers of verona mr belton's countenance expressed more than he framed into language managerial policy is chary of praise he allowed her to resume her seat in silence his internal ejaculation was how fortunate she has unquestionable talent grace freshness beauty she may perhaps replace our lydia you probably have no idea miss rosenvelt of the arduous duties incumbent upon every member of this profession histrionic eminence is not compatible with a life of ease and pleasure i know something of the mode of life sir my brother is an actor still it is better that we should understand each other my company say that they work harder than any other perhaps they do if you engage with me I shall expect your energies to be at my command. You may be disheartened at first at the amount of study requisite. Then I cast all my plays myself, and allow no dictation. Though I endeavor to be just, I permit no refusing of parts, no contention about the manner in which the names shall appear upon the bills. The interests of my companies are my interests, and that must content them. "'I think there shall be no difficulty, sir.' "'Then I will make you the offer of a trial engagement. "'Mr. Tennant commences with me on Monday next. "'Miss Talbot was to have supported him. "'You can occupy her place, "'but I warn you that the public will demand a great deal "'from any successor of hers. "'Your name shall appear second to Mr. Tennant's "'at the head of the bills. "'If you succeed, you can keep it there.' if you make a great hit and sustain it by performances your name in time will be placed first your line of business will of course be juvenile tragedy and comedy occasionally you may be called upon to attempt heavy tragedy that depends upon the plays which mr tennant selects I will keep you out of afterpieces for a while, but you must prepare yourself to appear in them when you are a little more familiar with the stage. Stella could with difficulty conceal a rush of tumultuous emotions as she asked, In what character am I to make my debut? Mr. Belton referred to Mr. Tennant's last letter. First night, Virginius. Second night, Othello good you will make your debut in virginia and next night appear in desdemona that will do admirably your powers will not be too severely taxed you will not be overweighted at the first start you will gradually become accustomed to the footlights perhaps you are not aware of their terrifying effect upon novices i scarcely think i shall feel alarmed said stella confidently could you favour me with a list of the other characters which i shall be required to study mr tennant has only selected his plays for the first two nights he acts with me for one fortnight probably the plays will not be settled upon until he arrives but what time should i have then even to memorize my parts the same time that the other ladies have returned mr belton carelessly here is a list of all the dramas which mr tennant has acted when he was here last he will repeat most of them if you choose you can study haphazard so as to be up in as many pieces as possible i will study them all thought stella nothing daunted. without examination she folded up the list when will there be a-a rehearsal well might she hesitate That word brought so forcibly to mind all that was before her. Let me see. Mr. Tennant will not be here before Monday morning, but, as you are a debutante, I will call a rehearsal with the company for you on Saturday. On Monday you will rehearse with Mr. Tennant. We must manage with two rehearsals. They are not enough, I admit oh quite enough i dare say and stella rose to depart she was impatient to return home that the pin-up sensations which agitated her breast might find vent you have forgotten one very important part of the business one of which actors are not usually oblivious the small term of salary hamlet said the lover shall not sigh gratis oh yes i did forget but i leave that to you of course it will be all right rather a loose way of doing business not after my style at all pray be seated for another moment i shall not pretend to offer you the salary that i gave miss talbot you must first render yourself so valuable to my establishment that you can command the same remuneration Five years ago, in this very room—yes, in that very armchair where you are sitting—she signed her first contract with me.' "'Poor Lydia!' Mr. Belton paused and hemmed, and turned over the playbills hastily, as though he were fearful of betraying an emotion in the presence of this young girl, which, before the footlights in the eyes of the public, he would not have thought of repressing. After a moment he cleared his throat—a telltale huskiness— and resumed her salary her salary at that time was thirty dollars per week i offer you the same terms for your first two weeks after that there may be an increase are you satisfied perfectly and again stella rose to depart be seated pray be seated words are not bonds stella sat down evidently chafing at the delay and rendered uncomfortable by the prosaic business details to which she was wholly unused, Mr. Belton drew up two contracts, and, signing them himself, requested Miss Roosevelt's signature. He then presented her with one, and carefully placed the other on his desk. For the third time, Stella started up, and now Mr. Belton conducted her to the door. She could not return home without communicating her success to Mr. Oakland. He was engaged with a class when she called at his residence, but she petitioned for a moment's interview. When he came to the door, she recounted, in a scarcely coherent manner, her morning's adventure, and, without waiting for his deliberate reply, hastened home and roused her apathetic mother with her startling story it wanted but ten days of the evening fixed for her debut and how much remained to be accomplished parts to be studied material for dresses to be selected costumes to be decided upon and fashion for historical authority stella was guided by mrs oakland's chaste and refined taste in her choice of her stage attire they agreed THAT THE EXTERNAL DRAPING AND ADORNING SHOULD BE A MANIFESTATION OF THE CHARACTER ASSUMED. MR. OAKLAND ADVOCATED THE SEVEREST SIMPLICITY. HE DETESTED THE tawdry OSTENTATION OF STAGE HEROINES IN GENERAL, AND ARGUED THAT PRODIGALITY OF ORNAMENT OFTENER CONCEALED THAN SET FORTH REAL CHARMS. MATTY AND A NIMBLE-FINGERED ASSISTANT SAT PLYING THEIR NEEDLES IN MRS. ROSENVELT'S CHAMBER FROM DAYLIGHT UNTIL MIDNIGHT. Even Mrs. Rosenvelt herself, now and then, ran a seam, or bound on a trimming. She found the bustling, occupied manner of everyone around her irresistibly contagious. On Friday evening, Stella received a note, which rendered her already perturbed brain giddy with agitation. The epistle contained but these cabalistic words. Virginius. Rehearsed. Ten o'clock. Saturday morning. April. Blank, blank. Tobias Alsop, propter, call. It was her first call to the theatre. Until now, she had seemed to herself to be moving through some excited dream, but this bit of tangible paper, which she could touch and gaze upon, suddenly made it all real. Could she venture to a rehearsal, a first rehearsal, alone, or only accompanied by Maddy? impossible true she felt confident of receiving the utmost courtesy from the actors mr belton was so kind himself yet the presence of a friend would sustain her mr oakland must be pressed into service that gentleman received her request with undisguised coldness his scruples were not easily combated he had wielded the critic's pen at one period of his life and unsparingly pointed out the shortcomings of certain members of the profession he looked for resentment from those who were not wise enough to kiss the rod he essayed to convince stella that his presence could not serve her within the circuit of any boston theatre she still pleaded earnestly unanswerably and at last wrung from him a slow consent. The hand of time was on the stroke of ten, when Mr. Oakland, the next morning, conducted her through the private entrance of the theatre to the dimly lighted stage. From many theatres the outer light is wholly excluded, even in the daytime, and gas usurps the place of sunshine. But in this the sunbeams struggle through distant windows, often intercepted by detached wings of scenery, but shedding light sufficient to lift the gloom out of positive darkness. Gas was dispensed with except when the sky was wholly overcast. Stella glanced wonderingly at the bare stage, intersected by tawdry scenes on which dust and paint were amicably united, the mechanical stage auxiliaries, the dark-looking pit the tiers of empty boxes fronted with dingy devices what glamour could transform this dismal region to the realm of enchantment which had ever appeared to her young eyes what magical touch could invest these terrene prosaic surroundings with poetic grace and witchery how many illusions melted away as she stood transfixed mutely gazing on the unsightly objects that environed her The stage was unoccupied as they entered. A slender, sallow-faced young man now appeared, bearing a table. He placed it on the right, close to the footlights, or, rather, to the semicircular range which would become the footlights at night. This individual bestowed upon Mr. Oakland and his pupil a few furtive glances, but no salutation. He laid upon the tables pens, ink, paper playbills prompt books and then took his seat and was soon busily employed in writing is there nobody here whispered stella in a tone not wholly free from awe it has just struck ten and the actors are allowed ten minutes grace replied mr oakland i believe they will generally avail themselves of the extra moments come and walk with me up and down the stage before they arrive you must get accustomed to its length and breadth. Stella had never found it so difficult to command her limbs. She half-stumbled and clung to Mr. Oakland's arm for support. Her fancy peopled those vacant boxes with cold, critical eyes that froze her blood, paralyzed her faculties, metamorphosized her into a dull, insensate clod, the reflex of the glaring shows around her. "'You are nervous,' said Mr. Oakland, with concern. A little, not very, that is, not at all, and she made a desperate attempt to rally. The next person that emerged from the darkness behind the scenes was a boy about eleven years old. His consequential bearing, as he trod the stage, betrayed that he already aped the airs of self-important manhood. He deliberately scanned Stella and Mr. Oakland, without removing his cap, then with mock solemnity marched to the prompter's table as he expected the long strip of paper which contained his calls the words those individuals novice wonder if she's got anything in her were uttered in one of those convenient stage whispers which are intentionally audible stella's perturbation momentarily increased She began to feel certain that she would be guilty of some inexcusable gaucherie. "'Make your call, Fisk,' sang out Mr. Alsop, the prompter, as loudly as though the boy at his side were stationed at some invisible distance. Master Fisk recrossed the stage, giving a ludicrous imitation of a high-tragedy gait." a mode of progression which requires one foot to be placed at the greatest possible distance in advance of the other, and the backwards foot slowly drawn along to meet its companion, the dragging process being scrupulously repeated at each step. Fisk's voice was then heard shouting lustily to the green-room door, First act of Virginia's Servius." Nisus, Virginius, all the Roman citizens. The call boy then strutted back to his place by the prompter's side. Virginius and Titus, not come. At this moment, Mr. Belton appeared, accompanied by his stage manager, Mr. Finch. He greeted Stella somewhat stiffly. His manner, now implied that he had no words to spare. All must be business now. Mr. Finch was introduced. Stella presented Mr. Oakland. Mr. Belton bowed without extending his hand. Mr. Oakland did not offer his. All managers and almost all actors set their faces against the introduction behind the scenes of persons unconnected with the theatrical profession. Stella's disregard of this prejudice explained Mr. Belton's unusually chilling manner. Without exchanging another word with Stella, he turned to his prompter. Don't rehearse the whole play, Alsop. We only want Virginia scenes for this young lady. Miss Roosevelt, Mr. Alsop, Miss Alsop, Mr. rosenvelt Mr. Alsop bowed in the briefest manner. As Mr. Tennant is not here, read for him, continued the manager. "'Now, my dear, your entrance is from that side.' These words were addressed to Stella. The familiar, my dear, caused the quick blood to rush to her cheek. She soon learned that the term is one in such constant use throughout all theatres that is rendered meaningless by its indiscriminate application. Mr. Allsup rose, took his position in the centre of the stage, and gave the cue. "'Soft, she comes.' stella grasped the side scene into which mr belton had conducted her she had lost all other power of motion come on if you please my dear that is your cue called out the manager stella with a faltering step advanced toward mr ossop well father what's your will was uttered in a low quavering tone a voice soft gentle and low is an excellent thing in a woman but not on the stage, remarked Mr. Belton. You'll have to speak twenty times louder than that at night. Better try your voice in the morning. It's far easier speaking in an empty theater than in a full one. Lift up your head and throw out your words as though you are talking to the furthest man in the gallery yonder. That's the rule stella's suffused countenance dropped lower and lower several members of the company had gathered in the wings she thought she read derision in their curious eyes they were watching her to detect and ridicule her insufficiencies tongue-tied by confusion she turned with a supplicating look to mr oakland she had never seen his face wear such a distressed expression he bowed to mr belton and said Excuse me for infringing the rules. Then approached Stella. It is not yet too late, Stella. You can withdraw from this ordeal. Do you not feel that you are not qualified to pass through it triumphantly? That humiliating doubt recalled the high-spirited girl to herself. No, she answered, with recovered firmness, and then, in a clear ringing tone, repeated the first words of her part good cried belton encouraging that's what we want Also read the eloquent language placed in the mouth of virginius as though he were stammering through a primer stella replied as virginia but though she delivered every line as set down in the text she made but a futile attempt to embody the character the words she articulated lacked expression the business air with which the manager surveyed her the prompter's unmeaning reading this disenchanting locality hurled romance from her aerial throne annihilated all poetic inspiration and clogged the wings of fancy with a commonplace matter-of-fact heaviness as she varied her position on the stage and made her exits and entrances according to mr belton's directions she seemed to herself a conscious automaton Deprived of reflection or self-guidance, once she thought she heard a slight titter at the wing, doubtless at her expense. Mr. Belton called out in a commanding tone, Order, order, and silence was restored. Then Tatus hobbled on stage with the assistance of a pair of crutches. Miss Rosenvelt, Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin, Miss Rosenvelt, said the manager. Both parties bowed when virginius and dentatus exont virginia is left alone stella found the soliloquy which she was then required to deliver far more difficult of utterance than the brief replies to her father and dentatus mr belton mr finch mr allsop mr oakland and fiske were standing directly in front of her their eyes all fastened on her countenance her memory was at fault mr allsop gave her the word that confused her more she stammered in endeavour to proceed he prompted her a second time and now instead of the tender fervent tone in which she had again and again rehearsed that very passage in her own chamber she found herself repeating the words after the prompter with a parrot-like intonation as though she had never heard them before and had no comprehension of their sense Eiculus enters, exclaiming, "'Virginia! Sweet Virginia!' "'Miss Roosevelt, Mr. Swain! Mr. Swain! Miss Roosevelt!' interrupted Mr. Belton. Eiculus paused to bow, then continued, "'Sure I heard my name pronounced, etc., etc.' This gentleman belonged to that numerous class of actors who considered rehearsals a necessary bore, He gabbled with telegraphic speed over the language of Iecalus, gliding one word into the other, without attempting to convey any meaning by the enigmatical sounds. Punctuation was wholly ignored in this convenient style of declamation. How could Stella fancy herself the beloved Virginia of such a nimble-tongued brainless Iecalus? The act ended, but no interval is allowed in rehearsal. In the next scene, Virginius betrothed his daughter to Isilius. The poetic principle, with which Stella's whole nature was deeply imbued, received its severest shock when Alsop droned out the beautiful betrothing speech of Virginius. It produced the same jarring sensation as a succession of false notes on the fine ear of musician, and drew from her a suppressed groan, the love-making of Isilius, which followed, Isilius, who declares himself dissolved, overpowered with the munificence of this auspicious hours, was positively laughable. Under any other circumstances, Stella could not have kept her countenance, as he rattled off at full speed, Oh, help me to a word will speak my bliss, or I am beggared. No, there is not one, there cannot be, for never men to bliss like mine to name it was obeying the noble dane's injunction to speak the word trippingly on the tongue with an original fidelity towards the close of the scene servia is summoned miss Rosenveld, miss fairfax miss fairfax miss Rosenveld, said mr belton miss fairfax came late and missed her first scene at virginius's charge to servia to take his daughter in Miss Fairfax encircled Stella's waist with her arm. The touch thrilled through the trembling girl. It was so tender, so gentle. Stella looked into the stranger's face. It was one of the most benign that goodness and intellect ever illumined. When they reached the wing, Mrs. Fairfax remarked kindly, "'How cold your hands are! Even through your gloves they feel like ice!' must be the effect of nervous excitement a first rehearsal is very trying but you will soon get accustomed what music those words were to the ears of the downcast girl the heavenly music of sympathy descending into the troubled heart the charming away its restless throes stella smiled gratefully but could only answer i am a little a little nervous and you are very kind Mrs. Fairfax replied by chafing the cold hands and warming them in her own. Virginia's next scene was very brief. She crosses in front of the Forum with Servia and meets Numitoris. Miss Rosenfeld, Mr. Doran, Mr. Doran, Miss Rosenfeld, said Mr. Belton. They bowed. The next scene is in the third act. Claudius drags Virginia across the stage. Of course, this business as it is theatrically termed, is omitted at rehearsal, Virginia meekly walked by the side of Claudius, having been duly apprised that she would be dragged at night. Miss Roosevelt, Mr. Conklin, Mr. Conklin, Miss Roosevelt, said the punctilious Mr. Belton, as Virginia and Claudius met, Virginia is supposed to be fainting and does not speak during this scene. She next appears in the Roman Forum as the captive of Appius, then in her uncle's house, and then for the last time before the tribunal. There she is stabbed by her father. These things were hurried through in a formal, business-like way, and the rehearsal ended. Stella overheard Fisk remarking to the prompter in an oracular tone. Can't say it's a bit like it. Don't think there's anything in her. No go. Decidedly, no go. Mr. Belton made no comment on her performance, as he bade Stella good-morning and honoured Mr. Oakland with a distant bow. "'You will receive the call for Monday. Mr. Tennant will, of course, be here,' were the manager's parting words. Stella returned home, sick, disheartened, overwhelmed by a mental and bodily lassitude she had never experienced before mr oakland made not the slightest attempt to reassure her among the thronging images which rose up like phantoms to torment her there was but one she could contemplate without a shudder the mildly beaming face of mrs fairfax was this the commencement of the career which she had pictured to herself as so inspiring so full of exhilarating triumphs and delights True, she had encountered but trifles, but these were mere feathers that waited thus upon her spirits, but they were feathers of lead. End of Section 3